0: During the golden age of record buying, the B-side or flip side of a 45-inch single was a mystery that the music fan would only discover when they played it. Sometimes it was a disappointment, but other times it'd be a surprising discovery. That's why time travellers from a future where most historical records have been lost refer to the pre-time travel era as the flip side. Time travel is a dangerous business, not only for what effects changes in the past might affect. Welcome back to Very British Futures. Today, we're taking a look at one of Play for Today's most fondly remembered installments, the 1980s sci-fi rom-com The Side* of Dominic Hyde and its sequel, Another Flip for Dominic. There will be spoilers ahead for both plays. Putting on their saucer-shaped hats to join me are Tim Reed and Charles Octoloni hosts of the Doctor Who-centric podcast, The Randomizer, who you may remember hearing Enduring Kinvig in an earlier episode. So,
1: welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you for welcoming us back. Have you learned nothing from last time? This is the question. In
0: 1953... The Gibsons were having a family party when the flying saucer craze came up in conversation. Fifteen-year-old Alan intrigued his relatives with his theory that these mysterious objects were not spy planes or from outer space, but in fact were time machines from the future. Alan Gibson's idea stayed with him as he grew up to become a respected film and television director. And in the 70s, he eventually wrote it down as a treatment. After four years of submitting it to various companies, Gibson received an enthusiastic response from Keith Williams, newly installed Head of Plays at the BBC. Now needing to turn his outline into a full script, he approached Jeremy Paul to co-write, having admired his work when he directed it years before. Jeremy agreed despite his reservations that science fiction was a genre he had little interest in unsurprisingly alan gibson also directed the play was first broadcast on bbc1 on the 9th of december 1980 receiving an enthusiastic response from both the audience and critics the radio times letter editor claimed that no other single new bbc tv play in 1980 Attracted so much correspondence. So, before we go any further, Tim, would you like to tell us more about the plot of the flip side of Dominic Hyde?
1: I'd love to, thank you. But first, I've got to say, yes, yes, there are bloody islands. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about unicorns?
1: Okay, so it's a long time ago, it's a London far, far away. So, this is episode one The Firth Awakens. <laughs> It's 2130. The world is technologically advanced, affluent, and dull as hell. It's the sort of place where the idea of a good time is to send somebody back in time to monitor the movements of 20th century buses. So no wonder Dominic Hyde, played by Peter Firth, is bored. Life seems pleasant, but lacking in passion and excitement. So this temptation to land his time-travelling saucer and plunge into the vibrant past, buses notwithstanding, is too much for Dominic. And he lands in search of an ancestor. So this ancestor, also known as Dominic Hyde, was believed to live in this time by his great auntie Mavis, who's played by Celia College. She's an aficionado of the past and has memories of the world from the before times. This sort of landing, though, is strictly forbidden by the authorities in the future, and there are dire stories of history being changed by travelers landing and getting involved. So Dominic's odd futuristic ways and his weird hat, these are read by the people of the past as being some sort of priest or monk, and perhaps that explains why everyone's so helpful and he isn't dead in the ditch within half an hour of landing. But among the friendly Londoners that he meets are Jane, who's played by Carolyn Langrish. And she helps him look for his ancestor under his cover story of Dominic being a long lost relative. It's kind of true, actually. Um, But they become lovers and Jane becomes pregnant. So when Dominic confesses this to his boss, Caleb, who's played by Patrick Mcnee.
0: Hello, this is Gareth from the Future, just dropping in to say that of course we know that Caleb Line was played by the marvellous Patrick McGee.
1: It turns out to have all been a cunning plan orchestrated by Caleb. The child is the long lost ancestor, and Dominic has had to land to become his own great great-great great great great, not sure how many great's grandfather. But Dominic's journeys to the past, they've reawakened his joy in living. And he brings this new vigour back to the future, as it were, telling his wife, Ava, about his relationship with Jane and sharing other joys from the vivid past. And their relationship is reinvigorated. Dominic's also finally honest with Jane about who he is or when he's from. And he provides for her and the child with the old future pools results scam time travellers. eh? The film ends with a lovely shot of Jane and baby Dominic at the seaside before the camera turns around for us to see Dominic and his wife, Ava, and a son on the same beach in the future laughing happily.
0: Beautifully done there. So I think I'm going to turn to you, Charles, first. And overall, what did you make of uh, the first play?
2: Uh, Yeah, no, I I loved it. I remember watching it on original broadcast. I was a sci-fi geek anyway, and uh, so I sort of hoovered up anything like this. But um, I suppose that, considering when it went out i was probably a bit young for it but i sort of really enjoyed it i i I particularly remember the fact that um the uh the saucer landing in a sort of um a derelict uh sort of elders bit or something and uh this couple having it off (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, she says oh i saw i saw stars or something he goes oh not yet baby or something uh so you know nice and funny. <laughs> but um yeah no the the plot's great actually it's um it's it's sort of it's complicated but it's not um, it's not fed to you in a complicated way. It's quite easy to sort of, you know, to get your head around it. Um, performances are great. My favourite goes to Patrick McNeil, because, um, I mean, he's just so funny. I I loved him in uh, like the likes of A Clockwork Orange and stuff, and he's got this delivery of, all right, very are. <laughs> and he's um, he's just hilarious. But uh, Peter Firth is uh, as wonderful as Dominic. Um, Supporting cast are very good. Um, Some nice little funny bits, you know, every time he sees a dog, or is that a cat? I'm trying to remember now. It's a dog, dog. yeah. Ah, Right, he's backing off a little, and um, there's a really good bit in uh, a restaurant where... They have a bit of an argument or something and he walks out and he walks directly into the musician that's sitting playing (laughs) because he thinks it's a hologram and stuff. So Mm -hmm. nice touches there. Although I agree with Tim, the future is boring as hell because all we ever see to watch is a renaissance fair or something. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, well, clearly the Beatles are still coining in the royalties in the future.
2: Yeah, yeah, probably. But it's, um, you know, you sit and watch and think, God almighty, have you know invented something more entertaining? But maybe the secret holodeck or something.
1: In the sequel, Sue does offer him porn, I think, at one point. <laughs> oh,
2: oh, yes, Sue. we have to go Sue's into that. Sue's <laughs> actually voiced by uh, Alpha Centauri. Uh Anne Churchman. Group, yeah. Um, but she's, funny enough, on IMDb, she's not got it in her credits, but if you go to the flip side of Dominic Hyde, it's in there, and it lists her.
1: So it's basically Siri, isn't she?
2: Well, their version of Siri, or the A-word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which you daren't say. I don't know who's got <laughs>
0: one. Yes, I, was, I was going to mention Siri, but then I thought, Computers with female voices have been with us for, uh, you know, Star Trek and probably before then. And it was unusual for the time because
2: Play for Today, you, I mean, you occasionally got more light ones, but it was quite dark and gritty. I often thought for a long time that the Dominic Hyde ones were part of the Play for Tomorrow series, but that was a completely sort of separate thing because you'd. Mm, Z was like a and stuff.
0: Yeah, I think that the, the play for tomorrow was a spin-off from the success of the I plays. They thought, oh well, there's an audience for this, and uh, we might well be looking at those in a future podcast. And, and I'm glad you picked up on my probably my favourite joke because it's so well set up. Is that one involving the guitarist at the re, uh, at the restaurant? Because at the near the start. You see this bit where he's walking through the hologram of the musicians in his futuristic house. And your mind thinks, oh, that's clever. That's a neat bit of we're in the future sort of uh, visual storytelling. And then it it pays off beautifully. Yeah, because it's quite subtle as well, you know. It's sort of, um,
2: some of um, Peter Firth plays it very subtly in a lot of ways. I mean, he's very much, you know, fish out of water. But uh, there's just some little gentle bits of comedy like that that are just really nice.
1: Yeah, so I was surprised mm. to hear you describe it as a rom-com. Um, but it does have those out-and-out comic moments and little touches elsewhere. Um, I think the fish-out-of-water comedy comes quite naturally to it. Um, but yeah, that, that's definitely a standout mm. moment. And um, a, I think there's a sort of gentler humour throughout in terms of how he just makes mistakes and charms his way through the the odds past london that he finds himself in
0: i think charm is one of the uh sort of like major keywords the of, uh, of of this of, of both plays allowing to get away with uh with a lot uh i'm curious uh, tim uh your your sort of general feelings watching these,
1: Had had you seen them before i hadn't um i but they're one of many pieces of sort of old tv that people lots of different people in my in my kind of um in my life have recommended over the years and so it's been always one that people have talked about and been on the oh must watch someday list so it's lovely to have a kind of impetus to to mm-hmm. actually finally get down to watching it and I was thoroughly glad I did it's they're just great um, both plays and I think um I think it's really interesting uh to to look at the kind of morality of Dominic um and I, I I might take a slightly different line to some, I think, because I, f- I find that he is, generally speaking, he's a very truthful character. Um, and so his kind of, you know, seeing a woman in the past, um, he, you know, I, I don't know if it's immediately, but certainly he goes back and reports this to his wife in the future, Ava, and mm-hmm. is honest with her and open yeah. about his experiences, both with meeting Jane, but also with, kind of just the joy that it's giving him. And that's a really strong theme in the program, I think, as well. The the kind of reawakening. So my, my Firth Awakens joke was was kind of quite deliberate <laughs> in terms of the you see this character <clears throat> who's just hungry for more in life and and finds it in many ways in the past and but also wants to share it. I think that's a, another part of his charm is he's not just sneaking off and having a CD affair. He's also kind of actually trying to reinvigorate his life with Ava. And and, and there is sex in the programme and sort of there's kind of very almost formalised um, sex that they have um, as a couple in the future before he goes back to the past. And then when he comes back, it's a, a lot more kind of wild and passionate and he brings a lot of that with them. I think there's also other things like the rose that he brings back, which they have to keep locked in a box. It's fragile. I think a metaphor there about the, the dangers of the passions of the past, um, getting out of the box as well.
2: I find it um, I find it also quite um, refreshing that um, people's like seem to have loosened up a bit as well in the future about like moralizing about you know like the things that worry us. Like you say, the honesty is very refreshing. Because even in the second one, you know, he's asked about um, by the woman in the past if he um, if he's told his wife and so all that. And he, yes, he has. You know, it's like you see, it's very much. Um, he's very open with it as well. So yeah, it's good. I also found it quite interesting because. The way they talk, like, there's certain words that are used that are very old-fashioned. Like, for example, Sue says about the peelers, you know, in oh, yes. <laughs> one point. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a bit strange. But also, uh, his wife basically is a tour operator
1: for Thomas Cook. Mm. The product but, placement's yeah. alive and well. Yeah.
2: Tom Cook. But the way it's all done, it makes it sound like she's in Tom Cook and, you know, she's in this very high floating thing. And when I sat and listened to it for about five minutes, I well, She's a tour operator. She watched some Thomas Cook. <laughs> it's not <laughs> special, you know, but it's just, it's quite funny the way it's sort of, uh, it's
1: all weighed out and that. There's a lot of good mm-hmm. world building, isn't there? And they kind mm. of get the sense that quite... the past has been lost and fragments remain. Um, mm. And Great Aunt Mavis is kind of one of the characters that drives a lot of that interest in the past, I think.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of quite subtle work. I mean, I'm very glad, for example, they don't explicitly say, what the big disaster is that happened between 1980 and Dominic's future. They're just ambiguous quite what has happened. I actually, when I
2: was watching that and mentioning the disaster, the only thing going through my head was David Mitchell going, don't mention the event. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with his uh, Mitchell and, and that day. Sort of <laughs> occasional comedy sketch about the quiz program, event. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but uh, yeah,
2: it's um they they are very subtle about it, and it's nice because really and truly, it's not anything that's necessary to the plot, and the keep the plot quite free of
0: unnecessary facts Actually, I think it would be a very good plot for a musical. I think it's up. <laughs> It's that right level of complexity. It definitely has to be a frog rock <laughs> for... Interestingly, apparently they were approached at one point. Somebody who was a... Sorry, I've forgotten his name off the top of my head. This is this is covered in Andrew Pix's notes. That uh, they the writers were approached by someone who was a fan, and they had this idea that he was going to write sort of an operetta that would cover the and then in, in the 80s, it would be an operetta. And then in the future, would, somebody else would do some techno-futuristic music <laughs> for those nice. sections. But, but nothing uh, came of it. It's it's rather nice, the little
2: snippets you get. And uh, his maiden aunt is uh, is a great character, you know, in both in mm. bo- stories. You know, is sort of filling in blanks, but you know you're not getting necessarily the whole story so it makes it compelling to find Mm. out. I suppose if you look at it from a the way we view tv now it seems pretty obvious that Dominic is going to be his own you know great great Mm. however many grandfather because Mm -hmm. we're used to that but back then I think that was quite a novel approach. And um, mm. I certainly, at the time, didn't guess, you know, so it was quite a nice surprise and um, quite a clever one as well. But it, sort of yeah.
0: it probably seemed fresher to a more mainstream audience, probably. We're still in the free channel era when this went out, so it would have naturally have had... It wouldn't have just been sci-fi fans tuning in. They would the a bigger audience so and I think it keeps the science fiction at the right level yeah even though they've got even the kind of the made-up language of the future it's, it's that that's the kind of thing that might appeal actually on an intellectual kind of sense of humour because they can recognise names of London districts and the like yeah
2: very very, very clever and also uh, uh, it was just a play for today as well. It was such a staple of the British diet at that point, so it was nice mm. to put in a bit of science fiction.
1: I, I was going to ask if you'd seen it on broadcast.
0: I hadn't seen it on broadcast and I don't know why, because I was certainly around and interested in science fiction. It's possible I might have said, ooh, it looks a bit people kissing, and <laughs> that's why I didn't watch it. So, well, like you, Tib, it was one of those things that was mentioned in magazines and the like. But I, I didn't actually catch up with it until, I'm probably the late 90s when I was, you know, generally trying to gather it, watch all the kind of classic series.
1: Uh, the good old VHS days.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: I had a few sort of scattershot observations about the first play mm-hmm. there was a lovely quote from Caleb if you, want, if you wish to study people watch old films I think he says that to Dominic <laughs> when Dominic's expressing his enthusiasm about people in the past. We've got Dennis Lawson as the mm-hmm. raging economist.
0: I've got to say it scores quite high on them before they were famous Yes, the meter. before
1: they were in Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe uh, that was post-Star Wars actually, was it 1980?
0: It was post-Star Wars for him, yeah. I mean, he, although he, maybe he just recorded his bit for Empire Strikes Back at mm. that point. Plus, uh, we have that gentleman you mentioned uh, with his girlfriend when the Flying Saucer lands, Carl Homan.
1: Ah, where'd he go on to?
0: Who would go on to Brushstrokes, that was his uh... famous sitcom.
1: I did think um, Peter Firth looked very like Colin Baker, sort of facially and with the hair.
0: There is a moment, especially near the front, near the start of the play, because he, when he goes into the future, there is a kind of effect around his face that <laughs> like uh, a sort of ersatz Doctor Who. You can hear
1: Dominic Glenn's music coming in. I did think that like, all these accusations that Dominic's working for MI5, it means this is clearly uh, in the Spooks universe, This this play. Mm. (laughs) Because, of course, that's probably what he's most famous for Latterly, Peter Firth, isn't
0: it? I think, yeah, that's it. I think at the time he was probably best known. I think he had done Equus. That was kind of his big calling card. Yeah. yeah. uh, He was still, at this point, he's an exciting young actor. In fact, it's uh, one of the, again, going back to Andrew Pixie's notes, the reason that there was like a two-year gap between the plays is that he wanted to go to Hollywood basically and get his green card. Mm-hmm. Over there. So that's one of the reasons there was a, a gap between the two plays and he's very good. And apparently as well as the before, he, he brought a lot, he had a lot of suggestions which seem to have been enthusiastically received by Paul and Gibson. Cause mm-hmm. he just said, To has suggestions that might sound like they're going to be really annoying, but I gather this was not the case in the in this in this one. And he's very good. Like I said, charm is a key note of it, but he doesn't overplay. He doesn't overplay anything really, because there's a way of doing that character that could go very wrong. He could go very syrupy, Mm -hmm. uh, this kind of child, or he could have been. A sort of annoying Mister Bean, sort of uh, misunderstanding everything, and I'm, and that's something else. I think they get the right, they get it at the right level. With the, so we have this whole scene with him trying to make coffee, instant coffee, and
1: <laughs> yes, making
0: a big a big
1: hash of it. But I think, uh, if they'd had comedy in their mind, <clears throat> that might have mm-hmm. come out worse. Whereas mm-hmm. I, I get the impression that you know they're just telling a you know a story fairly straight and the comic moments arise out of the situations rather than hey let's do a funny bit of business now
0: Yeah definitely it rises out of the character, a good example is when he he brings that coffee to uh, to, to Jane and she's having a bath Oh yes which, which doesn't bother him because in the future everyone seems to be very calm about uh, nudity sort of like around the house But uh, and she takes it uh, fairly well She's she's a she's a very understanding woman in in this one, and so he just kind of. But the way he plays it, I suppose, because he doesn't come in and he's not at all creepy about mm-hmm. it, just really matter of fact, and gives her this terrible cup of coffee, and just kind of wanders off again. So that's yeah. The, a funny scene.
1: The coffee sort of the punchline to the scene when she kind of goes, mm. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I think there is that just, you know, and again, you say it's not overplayed as kind of complete you know, sort of naivety, but he's just earnest and sincere and interested in things. And um, and I think that's what makes Jane notice him as well. He's obviously unusual, but he's also just kind of, yeah, I know a kind of man who's alive with the possibilities of the world he finds himself in. I think that may be what attracts Jane to him at first. I think like
2: also he seems safe. He's mm. not, um like you said when he goes in with golf, he's not creepy. He's just matter of fact and it's refreshing considering it's the 80s, you know, when attitudes and stuff and his is, uh, well, enlightened but also just sort of totally cool with things and you know that
0: that uh that would probably be a breath of fresh air by the standard of romances on tv in it i can believe it you know it seems to or it doesn't feel like it's a contrived romance that has to happen for because plot it's sort of uh it does feel like it comes yeah arises naturally Although technically it
1: is a predestination paradox. Well, they sort of look that in the face a little bit in the second one, I think.
2: Also, the hat is exactly the same shape. you know, mm-hmm. as, which is quite amusing. But I'm
1: quite ashamed how long it took me to notice that as well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, it's a, uh, for UV rays and things, so that's quite clever. The suit is looks quite sort of it looks very neat and tidy and Mm. it's got a sort of decent futuristic look to it because the problem especially if you go back to 70s and 80s their vision of people in the future everybody was wearing bloody silver suits and Mm. you know Ray-Bans or something.
1: (laughs) Well let's face it Dominic (laughs) couldn't have worn anything more outlandish than what you would have seen on Top of the Pops that week anyway
2: (laughs) But it is interesting that the hat sort of takes off. <laughs> you know, when sort of he comes out. <laughs> right, You've seen people wearing these, hats. so I found that I found that quite cute actually. But uh, okay. yeah, no, it's um does it, it it's minimal again. It's minimal. They're not overstating mm-hmm. things too much, and I like that. But mm-hmm. one thing I noticed was that uh, when he's um, at home. I'm trying to remember if this is the first or the second one, but he's got this sort of gold, hugging, uh, like, tank, you know, sleeveless vest on, and he honestly looks as if he's about to go out clubbing at heaven or something. (laughs) 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 You know, it's like, I'm sitting watching it going, yep. (laughs) uh, It's um, it's really good. I think think, uh, props to the uh, costume designer on that. Mm way. They came up with a look that's very recognisable as well. People you know if you mention that to someone that look you know generally I mean I'm talking sort of terms of sci-fi people but people will remember Dominic Hyde and they'll remember the hat and things mm. uh, it's something that will stick in the mind.
0: Yeah I think credit to the costume designer was Rosalind Ebert. And I think she deserves, because there's lots of, especially BBC sci-fi shows, where they, the future just looks ghastly. They just sort of, we, we've, we've all lost our taste, sense of taste, whatsoever. And I think it's a credit, yeah, that, that Dominic's future looks, you know, on the BBC budget, it looks reasonably solid and stylish and somewhere you'd like to live.
2: Yeah, I mean, this could be a reason why a lot of BBC sci-fi future productions, it's um, it's a sort of uh, doom-laden future, you know, like Trippids or Survivors, where everybody's just grabbing what they can, so they don't have to make it look too futuristic. They can basically get away with, uh, you know, putting them in a sheepskin coat or something, because that was the first thing we could grab.
1: Are we claiming mm. that the trend for dystopian future sci-fi is entirely based on the ease of costume design? Absolutely,
0: like that. That's it. That, there's, there's only two ways: it's the sheepskin or it's the the, le- the leather
1: straps. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 There is something to take out of context.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about uh, that, uh, the two lead actresses involved. We've already raved about Sylvia Coleridge, who's always. Brilliant in uh, whatever she does. So, uh, any, any thoughts on uh, on Carol Langshire as, as Jade or Pippa Gard as Ava?
1: Ava Ava's
0: very, um, I don't know, she's like Dominic
2: at the start, as Kim said, you know, it's very by the numbers. Everything is just, you know, safe and a little bit, you know, predictable. And As Tim pointed out, you know, she's enthused by the end, but it's a very good performance. She's She's very subtle, again, with a lot of her little things, you know, sort of when she's looking at the rose or, you know, and he mentions, he obviously mentions Jane. And although she's not put out per se, you can see she's slightly worried about it. But Mm. I think she sort of, you know, has a think and she's okay, but she's definitely noticed that he's invigorated more and that sort of brings her more
1: out of her Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good performance Mm. with um, material that could be hard to tread in terms of, first of all, just that difficulty in playing a kind of placid, tranquil future um Mm -hmm. it always has the danger of slipping into just being a bit dull um but that's avoided quite well i think and um i think there's there's also a subtle detail of it's uh, if i'm reading the the clues rightly they seem to be assigned their their partners Mm -hmm. kind of centrally by the government or computer or whatever and there's there's talk of um oh, maybe we're, we're not compatible or we could change and things like that. And they have a friend in the first play, of course, who does just that, doesn't he? And so mm. I think that character is there to sort of illustrate the kind of way that romantic love is set up in the future as well. So, But I, no, I do think Pippa Gard has a the hardest job of the leads to do in terms of charting that character. And I do like very much that they largely avoid the obvious jealousy kind of troll. Mm. and there's a little more of that in the second one with good reason and we'll come to that but the um, but likewise Ava um, gets a lot more kind of development and autonomy in the second one whereas um, mm. I do think it's uh, you know she was the character most at risk of being kind of two-dimensional and it's, it's really mm. testament to the actor that they've managed to kind of embody her journey in the reflection mm. of Dominic's journey so, mm good
2: point you make, actually, about being signed their, you know, their partners, as it were. It sort of got me thinking, because recently I watched Rollerball. Um, oh, yeah. Film, and they, in their that future, they're assigned partners. Like, uh, you know, the, uh-huh. the, he's with gets reassigned. His wife got reassigned at one point. He's with a different partner now. So... It's not something I'd thought about, but maybe it is a thing that's explored more
1: in sci-fi, you know? I think Mm. there's always been kind of, um, you know, various kind of takes on how sexual relationships will work in the future with more or less a level of kind of sleaze and schlockiness depending on the production and, you know, you've got (laughs) your, um, but that kind of idea of assigned you know, yeah. computer generated control is it's it, it exists in a bigger form in other works, and in this one, it's it's quite underplayed, I think. It's kind of just a subtle yeah. detail, really. And nobody seems mm-hmm. to feel particularly oppressed yeah. by that or unhappy with that in the future, I think. It's not something they're pushing against. And, and Carol
0: Langrish is uh, is splendid as uh, you can a character worth traveling across time and breaking some rules to, to have a romance with. Uh, but at the same time she's real because there's a chance she could have turned into a bit of a sort of fantasy girlfriend to some extent. Mm-hmm. She she keeps on the right side of believability. And and the scene where she gets where she's hurt, towards the end, she sort of realizes who Dominic really is and what's been going on, they're very well played scenes. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. She um she's like you say, she's um she's very, very real. She um she's very good fun, but you know, she's not like airhead or fantasy fun, you know. She's sort of like the scene in the pub where she sort of invites them along, you know, and it's just it feels like the sort of times I've been out with friends and a the pub does, you know, nothing feels out of place apart from Dominic, but even then he's welcomed into the group uh, and the dynamic that goes on with all the friends. It's um, it's rather wonderful and as I said, she is, um, she's particularly sort of uh, engaging character.
1: Sorry, I, th- I think, yeah, she's great. I, I, my memories are fresher of the second play, which I watched more recently, obviously, and I think uh, there's some great development there. But, um, no, just, again, a a potentially tricky role to navigate, but I think it's written with, uh, you know, a decent believability of the kind of step-by-step journey from who is this weird guy to hang on, this weird guy says he's from the future sort of thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you mentioned about the friends and the pub. One thing that did, and uh, I I think it was you, Tim, hinted at this a little earlier on, is just how friendly... London is in a way that I don't believe the real 1980s London was. It would be nice to think it was, in that this, it's like everyone's really happy to help. Um, I wonder if it's because generally. they're
1: reading him as a priest or a monk um, because of the hat. Mm. I mean, it, I'd like to think in the modern London that he'd be dead in the ditch like anybody else because those guys have had a free pass for <laughs> too long but you know we've moved on as a society but I, I do think it's that thing that crops up in a few places of that kind of you can be as eccentric as you like as long as you're of a religious order in fact they even play on that in the second one of course In the mm. uh,
0: so, but I, I do quite kind of like that scene at uh, I think it's Camden Market where he, he meets him. Jane's friend who oh yes what he's so maybe named. his boyfriend maybe not Mm. Yeah, a sort of a could have been Jim, I think his name is. Mm, yeah, I'm going to call him Jim. Let's call him Jim. So <laughs> there we are, where where he meets uh, Jim, and that nice scene, and Jim starts. All oh, right, I love you mate, we've got yeah. this bloke here. He's looking for his
1: long lost brother. Uh,
0: he doesn't actually see. He sounds a lot better than that.
1: Yeah, no, it gives you hope for the past,
2: doesn't it? Good, I think because Dominic is so charming. He really puts. He has a way of putting people at ease. I mean, when he says, "I have no peas," <laughs> you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. And you know, it's it's his cleverness as well. He's 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 quite quick thinking about things. You know, like you know, make mm. it will be, or again a bit in the second one where he sees a busker and he he works out how to get peas and things so,
1: with this magic ring yeah man,
2: that's his sonic screwdriver yeah. can do it. Mm. but um but yeah it's his charm and his likability, and he mm. he does have a way of sort of just he seems to talk to someone for a few minutes and puts them at complete ease it's mm. not false he's not trying mm. to um to con anyone he's basically just he's he's real and he's genuine and it's Mm -hmm. um it's quite a refreshing thing to see on screen
0: Mm. sometimes it's his charm because on one level dominic behaves even though he's driven he sees him driven by a kind of instant passion but there's a way of reading him he's quite a selfish character He, he sort of just kind of goes over after what he wants too much thinking about the consequences of it. And in some ways, in this certainly in this first play, he seems to get his he does have manage to have his cake and eat it. And it turns out even
1: even his uh, infidelity
0: was all part of a great plan and he gets a, a pat on the back for it.
1: I think that's mm-hmm. where the honesty comes in in terms of the interpersonal relationships. You know, he's not that I mean, to leap ahead a bit, the key moment in the second play is when he lies to Eva, and the, mm. the whole thing twists on that moment. Mm.
0: That's a really good. I, 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 that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought.
1: Yeah, mm. it, I mean, it, Caleb's machinations are a kind of layer above everything else. So
0: mm.
1: it feels like. It, I, I don't think it's a weakness necessarily, but they do feel kind of. The, there's nothing inexplicable until Caleb waves his magic wand at the end, and it's all mm. kind of tidied up. Um, but then <laughs> uh, th- I think that's a lovely a lovely conclusion to it all and when you're not familiar with the grandfather paradox already i think i think mm-hmm. that's been a kind of delightful kind of surprise for a lot of viewers at the time but
2: mm. you know, that's what makes the first story like let's say dominic's uh travels into the past and so on i mean that's very dangerous because obviously they're all trained they all know that you know you can affect the future and the past so by him doing that which is strictly forbidden you know that is quite dangerous but he gets away with it so he keeps doing it but as you say there's caleb already had this he knew what was happening but you would hope that when if someone just done that you know they would <laughs>
1: uh, they would notice straight away but you know, <laughs> Next one. Well. Hmm. That's the kind of benevolent totalitarianism in the end. But um, yeah. I think one, one thing I wanted to clear up w- with you both was the rules of the time travel because I got a little confused and it comes into play in the second one again. That so am I right in thinking that if you don't return to the future, then somehow you disappear from the future even
0: mm.
1: you know before you left or, or the, the the effects of your life in the future are sort of somehow unraveled. I think, you know,
0: I think you've got the right handle on it there, mm. Tim. That's kind of what happens. It's rather than just you change time. and But, yeah, I think it is more that sense of...
1: Personal threat that that represents. But then there's the kind of bigger existential threat, that the story of the previous time traveller who did something nasty to a dog and caused untold damage <laughs> in the future. Yeah. see, um,
2: that, that confused me ever so slightly because, like... Again, in the second one, which we will get into, but the the guy that's uh, the trainee, as it were, that's in the past, son, is uh, Fady. You know that was it. Yeah, I mm. thought to myself, well, logically, you would think that. He had a son in the future, but then he goes back into the past, but he's at the age, he's an older person, mm-hmm. he's already had his son, so why would that affect that? That,
1: that was exactly...
2: And in mm. my head exploded.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> exactly the part I got a bit muddled about. So it seemed like there was some more kind of fundamental undoing of your future life yeah. if you didn't go back to your proper place in time. I suppose yeah. time travel is just one of those things you can sort of make up on the hoof, really.
0: Whatever, you know, whatever the rule is, yeah. you know, you're on pretty safe ground. Unlike some physical laws, yeah. No, no one's going
1: to uh, seriously challenge you, really. There's a strongly worded letter from Stephen Hawking in the post. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, and before we before we leave. Um, the first play, I think we need to talk a little bit about Meal Ticket which is the the, the, <laughs>
1: the song <laughs>
0: the theme song
1: of uh, Dominic My little outburst earlier was basically in response to the fact that you continually get the first verse of that and there was a point <laughs> in the second one where I was just like enough." <laughs> <of>. and weirdly <laughs> enough after that point in the play I think the producers were sharing my fear because they changed it to the other song <laughs> but- it's fine. It's it's delightful. It's just extraordinarily overused.
2: I think it's just one of those sort of seventies, eighties ballads, isn't it? That mm. it's it's inoffensive unless you're Tim who takes offense <laughs> <at> everything. Especially <laughs> <But>. musically. <laughs>
1: you know where it sits for me, it sits right next to the odd choice of theme tune for Starcoms, with that Justin uh, Hayward. Band.
2: Yeah, I mean that's the most bizarre. I mean,
1: I grew to love it, but at first <clears> you like It's just playing completely against any kind of zingy synthesizer-based sci-fi music.
0: Because of the play's enormous success, the BBC considered making a Dominic Hyde series, as they had for the play-for-today-production Gangsters. But Gibson and Paul resisted the idea, fearing that the concept would become stale and be a cheap-looking, studio-bound production. Nevertheless, they were as keen as the BBC to create a sequel. And once all the casts were available, another flip for Dominic went into production. Several years later, Dominic has retired from active service and accepted a promotion to become a tutor to younger correlators. But whilst enjoying Christmas morning with his family, he is summoned by Caleb to go to 1982 and discover what has happened to one of his protégés, Pyrus Bonington, who has gone missing. Despite his wife's Ava's misgivings, he can't resist getting in touch with Jane as soon as he lands, ostentiously for her help, but really just to see her and his infant son. Jane reveals that her jackpot pool's win never happened because Dominic got his dates wrong but she is in a contented relationship with a rock guitarist who has just departed on a six-month tour. Meanwhile, in the future, Ava accepts help from a handsome childminder. With Jane's help, Bollington is quickly located, facing a magistrate for breaching the peace. Dominic successfully defends his fellow time-traveller by pretending they belong to a religious order. Later, Dominic and Jane have a disastrous romantic evening that grows far worse when the impulsive Bonnington dies whilst trying to rescue a kidnap victim he had accidentally encountered earlier. Returning sadly to the future, Dominic conceals from Ava that he has visited Jane again. Caleb allows Dominic to return to the same date "'and try and change the past. "'This time Bonington is saved "'and successfully returned in Dominic's saucer "'because his own time machine "'has been confiscated by the authorities. "'Dominic also tries to fix his aborted dinner date with Jane, "'but they still end up having a fight, "'Jane furious that he has manipulated her with time travel. "'Ava, questions Caleb over Dominic's recent behaviour. Reluctantly, Jane agrees to help Dominic find the missing saucer, which turns out to be in the barn of a sympathetic scientist called Professor Burroughs. With the professor's help, Dominic manages to repair and launch the time machine just before the military arrive. Back in his own time, Dominic returns to an empty house, Ava having taken their sons to her mother's, feeling betrayed by his deception. After confronting Caleb over his manipulations, Dominic makes one final trip back to the past to see Jane and his son greeting her returning boyfriend at the airport. Eventually, he and Ava are reconciled. The play ends with Jane filming their son playing on the beach, whilst in the future, Dominic symbolically deletes that same treasured recording, happy that he knows exactly where he should be.
2: There's some nice little bits at the end about, you know, the dangers of knowing the future or, like, um what is mentioned earlier about inventing something before its time and all that. So, you know, there's some we I think we travel more heavily into some of the 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 more normal concepts of of sci fi. But it's again it's um it's a really, really well done piece. They've not they've they basically, they've not tried to overdo it with, you know, they had the first one and they've not sort of thought, oh, it's successful, let's go bigger, you know? They've kept it grounded and they've kept the characters faithful to what they are, you know? But as Tim alluded to, you know, you do get a bit more conflict in Dominic's life, um, you know, in the future when um, Ava actually leaves him, yeah, it's sort of it seemed to be vaguely engineered by Caleb, in some
1: ways. And he saying you're up with the home help He's a dirty yeah. old man.
0: And that
2: is <laughs> sort of I don't know if that's Caleb just reassessing his dominance, saying, "Yeah, I've, I've been a bit, le- I've given you a bit of leeway, but." Just remember who's in charge, you know, sort of uh, he's the puppet master and he can pull any strings he wants, as it were. But um, I think I think it all satisfactorily um, winds up quite nicely. You know, he's he's got to see his son in the past. Jane is happy with her new beau um, and her new beau is a rock star in the future as well. So, you know. What could uh, what could be more uh, fantastic
1: than that? <laughs> yeah, again, it was a, a worthy follow up and just moved everything forward. Chess's point about it staying quite grounded and not trying to get too highfalutin was was a good one. Um, there's, there's a, I, I jotted down a lot of quite random observations as I watched it, um, so i will just mm. going to I'll dip into those. But so it's like this time. Eva is played as jealous more explicitly and as I said before I think I think later on in the in the second one it does pivot around she directly says did you go and see Jane he says no it's a lie he he lies and that Mm. that's then explored a bit and it's interesting to me I'm not entirely clear what Dominic's impetus is for that lie whether he's just trying to sort of keep things simple or his, his mind's full of all the kind of ongoing issues with Bonington and so on but it's um it's definitely not a lie that goes unfollowed through because obviously Jane does uh, sorry Ava does um go away with the, the childminder now I want to talk about this childminder because <laughs> when he walks into the the kind of flat in the first in the, I'm like uh-oh the childminder's a hottie um there's, <laughs> there's a problem here and he's he's a a jumbler but he teaches her to jiggle and you know i was like (laughs) i bet he teaches her to jiggle um so again they're playing with the language but um and it's all it's all very gentle and genteel almost there's that kind of quite placid futurey uh way of being and way of dealing with relationships which has sort of stayed true into the second one but yeah Mm. it's it's a i think that's a really interesting plot especially because it then comes through in the way that great aunt Mabel gets involved in arguing that uh, Ava should return to Dominic and there's this there's this line about um you can only fall with her but he can dance with you um he could probably dance with Jane as well but it would have to be dorky future <laughs> dancing, <right>? so um <laughs> but yeah uh, what else is going on that poor busker he, he kind of upstages a, a past mm. busker. Get himself some peas to go on the train with. and
0: yeah. Dominic sort of like does something in an innocent sort of way, but sort of ruins that guy's day. On yeah, well, the,
1: the you thing. know, talk about damage to the past, you know, from this guy. Kind of, yeah,
2: but, on yeah, to... That guy was going to invent a whole new form of prog
1: rock. Yeah. <laughs> so has he saved the future or ruined it? We yeah, right. um, <laughs> Who Well, talking about musical case. taste, mm-hmm. I, I, I think mm-hmm. I vehemently disagree with. Um, Dominic when he asserts that the music of 1982 should be preserved for the future <laughs> 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 at, least, at least those particular choices because after, after the producers and I both simultaneously got fed up with um, You Better Believe It Babe we switched to Jane's boyfriend's song which seems to be called mm. Who's Selling Dreams although it morphed in my head after the 10th time into <laughs> Who's, Who's Salad Cream <laughs> who sell a cream, who sell cream, Who's sell cream?
0: cream. Um, yeah, they are a bit of a sort of Blandy Eagles sort of easy listening.
1: I think the same composer, I believe, from the credits, um, but a different act performing them. But no, the, the court scene is very interesting because that's where he, he gets the big payoff one more time from looking vaguely like he's a religious figure. Um, and he does that very cute thing when he's called to the stand of... Lifting his legs over the rail and sliding down the banister on his way to the stand. (laughs) I I, I don't quite buy that you'd get away with that, religious man or not. But, you know, again, there's gentle comedy in, in how he kind of navigates to get Bonington out of trouble.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the magistrate is, uh, she's sort of, you can just see she's like, sort of, I just don't want to be here today. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and this guy, She's. she can't really get annoyed at him, but he's frustrating the hell out of <laughs>
1: Yeah.
2: <know>? Like you <laughs> said, comedy is, the comedy is played, and it's played quite well. Um, I don't think they strayed from their original. Ideas, so they kept, you know, they kept the characters the same in uh, in a lot of ways, but moved the plot on, and that was nice. It's also nice to see that, I mean, this was what 1982,
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: So basically, yeah. about 15 years later, um, Morris Morris Gam and Lawrence Marks, you know, reevaluated it and made it into Goodnight Sweetheart. And just, mm. oh. <laughs> but uh, no. I mean, it's um, it's particularly nice. There's some there's some great little scenes, and as you, you say, the jiggler or Juggler or whatever. Uh, but, I mean, yeah. He sort of he reminded me of the guy that used to do finger bobs.
1: You know, <laughs> it's quite children's TV, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, Yes. There's a bit and of sort so, of gushy about him. Yes. I notice, I notice we're not quite enlightened enough in the future that uh, that we can't let a male nanny be a full-time job. So he has oh, to have another yeah. job. That's <laughs> yeah, a but... slightly disappointing subtext.
2: I'm not being funny, but he's you know, uh, I think you know, he's a male nanny and a juggler. So, you know, I think that's pretty uh, pretty different for say you're normal um employment path for most males in 1982
1: so uh his next career was clearly in entertainment Um, but (laughs) no there's there's a few things that rankled actually or stuck out a bit so i didn't really buy why dominic would sit around watching jane's boyfriend on top of the pops when bonnington's missing you know there's no Mm. urgency there at all at that point and Bonington's clearly kind of lusting after Pilar the moment they meet. So he's mm. off with Pilar. I think, you know, there could be another grandfather paradox in the making <laughs> that very night, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, I think that sort of turns out to be a red herring. Oh, no, history's going to repeat itself. But uh, And then they just kind of let that thread drop, a deliberate misdirection, rather than uh, sloppy writing.
1: clearly oh. Pilar's not as naive as she seems, thankfully. <laughs> choose <laughs> yeah, a way to make the rice but um, some is that a Pilar rice <laughs> joke? yeah oh
2: <laughs> my it became yeah, a bit disturbing when um, when he died You know when um, Dominic went to mm. find him and he seemed to think he was going to rescue a princess or something mm. and basically fell off the ledge and died and I was like oh wow so But obviously, yeah, he can go back. But then again, they're obviously not wanting to complicate time travel too much. But if he goes back, surely he's there as well. You know, it gets gets messy again.
0: Yeah, they're still trying to keep the... I mean, it is a bit more science fiction in the second one. But uh, yeah, they're trying to keep it simple. I mean, it's interesting. There doesn't seem to be any physical laws. You can go back and change time. You know, there's nothing stopping you. It's only a moral argument.
2: He he goes back a little bit further so that he can have that conversation again with Jane and not have mm. an argument. And his own hubris ends up sort of, uh, you know, ha- uh, they have the argument that he tried to avoid. But what was also yeah. interesting that the first time they had the argument, it was about the fact that he felt bad for Jane's boyfriend. It wasn't the fact that, obviously, he knew he existed, but it was mm. lying to him, you know?
1: Again, it's about the honesty and the lying. Yeah, the you? honesty. That's, that's start by Jane lying. And but, so it
2: goes back in time. To point of view that would have just got far too complicated. So,
1: but this you notice um, the the argument as you say deterministically happens all over again, which is a nice touch. But this time at least, Pilar didn't get hit in the face by whoever gets thrown. <laughs> I thought she did. Uh, it's, I think she was supposed to, but the shot slightly. Well, she different.
2: Got hit by something.
1: Hit in the face the first time, and then it just missed her face the second. Oh
2: time. right. Oh okay. But yeah, See, paying enough attention. <laughs> but, I don't there's, think a, there's a. It was a bit crap, you know. She walks in and gets a bash.
1: In the- <laughs> I know, poor, poor Pilar. I actually you wish she'd stayed with Bunnington after all. But, um, so there's a couple of other things like here's one, uh, one humorous one. So Dominic's horrified by the smokers in the past, but how come when he goes forward to see Caleb and Caleb's puffing away in a pipe, how come he's not snatching out <laughs> of Caleb's hand? Oh, Maybe well, was- <laughs> tobacco's harmless in the future,
0: yeah. It could be that. I, that's well, I, I
1: think this is. An example of the design disconnecting from the story because Caleb is like a weird old mystic and basically is Gandalf. So he has to be... <laughs> the one big continuity difference, which unless I missed an explanation, let me know it was. Um, in the first film, you bring the rose into the future, but you open the box and the rose crumbles to dust. But in the second film, he's quite happily bringing forward bottles of wine and they're drinking the them. The
2: white age well. A rose is an organic thing.
1: So you literally just think that this is wine is
2: to dust a bottle would take longer yeah, for that to happen point. and the contents would be protected because it's
1: sealed. It'd be a good way of like sealing the wine market as well, you know, it's like it's four hundred years old. Still tastes like it still
2: tastes like bloody um happy shopper. <laughs> <laughs> no, happy shopper. That's very, very good. That no. Black Tower travels well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, of other so um by the middle of it I wrote down that now that Jane's boyfriend's band have supplanted the Somewhere Islands guy, I'm almost missing it. Almost. <laughs> but it is um yeah, it is almost like the producers got fed up with the first track at exactly the same point I did because suddenly it's all that <laughs> second track. When they go to, to in the third act, if you like, they go to the farm, um, and Jane's clearly not a country girl because she leaves the gate wide open at the yeah. farm of <laughs> buffins. But we have a boffin who is the toy maker.
0: Yay, Michael Goff Who's uh, it was? I was really pleased to see him because I mean he wouldn't thank me for, for calling him one of the great cult actors but he is and uh, it was great to see him as, as well as his St. Patrick McGee
1: It's a lovely role, he's clearly having great fun with it and uh, mm. I think it's, it's a lovely resolution as well that we're going all X-Files with the government cars coming and the boffins mm-hmm. just so entranced by learning the truth of things that again that kind of joyful interpretation of, of yeah. people's reactions to Dominic he helps him escape
2: It's like scenes you seem to get in Edge of Darkness or Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It's evocative of that era, you know, where you get that explanation of things and when they're talking. It also reminds me of a scene in Survivors where Abby Grant goes to pick up her son from the school and there's the old teacher there who's like keeping the radio and he's explaining that you know about um you know yes there'll be axes in the shop but what happens when the last axe head breaks who's going to you know smelt the metal and stuff and it's that it's a sort of just a sort of vague summarizing or getting the plot Mm. you know sort of giving the audience a bit of exposition i suppose but in a really sort of well done way maybe i'm just mm. playing again but it's sort of it just that's what it takes me but tim will tell you the places uh conversations take me are are strange and bizarre
1: dark and scary <laughs> um uh, yeah. well, i'd scribble down the when the saucer lifts off from the farm, Jane's rather got the look of someone who's regretting being helpful. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, but also, I, I was wrong about Siri offering Dominic porn earlier. It's um, she offers him music, dancing, or girls, um, and that's when they have that <laughs> amazing facial reaction. to oh, And he's like, oh, Sue or whoever. That's good. <laughs> um, and the, so it it, re- it resolves with a final visit to the airport, where we see Jane in the distance and waiting for um, her, Duncan, his name is, I think, uh, okay. coming back from his tour. And he gets off the plane with this giant teddy bear and his guitar and stuff. And, and they're driving off, and the teddy bear's in the backseat. And I swear the teddy bear is giving Dominic the stink eye out of the backseat. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the shot again. It's hilarious. Um, but now there's, there's a lovely attempt at a matching shot between Dominic alone at the airport and being back home. It doesn't quite line up, but it's a lovely visual idea. Um, mm. And then he's back home and he's playing this videotape that he made. He's showing it to Ava. And again, there's that thing of the honesty. And He deletes the tape. Although it did cross my dirty mind that maybe he's deleting it before they got to the whole movie part of the tape.
0: <laughs> so He's sort of demystifying. There's no doubt Ava has built up a picture in her head about what she... And she gets to see, her and, oh, she's you know a normal woman. I was just going to say,
2: this is not round well to that, but... Another nice little touch I noticed in um, both of them was when they're on the beach, you know, Dominic and um, Ava and the Charlie, they're wearing UV protection suits, you know, like bathing or whatever, because my aunt used to bring them back from Australia because they were like, quite prevalent there, but not over here. And um, I just thought it was interesting because there was that whole thing about the ozone layer, especially in the 80s, there was a big, you know, we're destroying the ozone layer. And obviously the UV stuff in the future is, as a result, you know, sort of being careful. So I thought, little touches like that, they're very subtle, but again, it's very clever, you know. This Mm. This is what I really like about it, you know, the attention to detail in it.
1: They've got this um, trick shot at the end of the first film with the, the two couples on the beach with the children, um, or rather Jane and the kid, and then Dominic and and, and their kid. Um, and that's, that was a lovely reveal. It was really delightful. And this mm. time they do a nice trick where you've got a shot of a kid with the flying saucer toy, but it turns out to be mm. in the past. Mm. And my theory mm. here, my canon is that the Michael Goff's boffin character, having lost the government contract, he's gone into <laughs> merch, I noticed a couple of names in the credit that I knew from elsewhere. So Dick Mills on sound, obviously, we'll did a lot of Doctor mm-hmm. Who. But Peter Ragg, who worked on Red oh. Dwarf.
0: As Doctor Who fans might mention—I uh, mean, might notice Dorka Neresztek, uh, who's also who's the makeup artist, and who and has appeared in articles in Doctor Who magazine about how she did the special special makeup on Doctor Who. Does an excellent job on this one. In fact, this ties in with the kind of restraint and the lovely balancing act that Adam Gibson and Jeremy Paul do in both plays is that there's no need for a third play, and they were very sensible. The whole thing, that they form very nicely a nice pair of stories, and by the time you get to the end of another flip, it feels a very organic place to leave it. Short sure, that, that video. Which
2: started it
1: all up at the possibly. Mm. This is the relic that great Annie Mabus yep. had seen. So, mm. Uh, mm. A, a big finish got involved. That's my next question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would enjoy maybe more uh, a, a little more of the world of the future. Mm. But again, it's it, you know it's more of that kind of completist, fill in the gaps impulse than anything that's necessarily for the the main story. Yeah. Uh, I think so the Dominic Hyde Marvel Cinematic Universe—that's what we <laughs> <to be>. should.
2: <laughs> they could explore the the future area a bit if they wanted to. Wouldn't it would have been a way of maybe doing it without tainting the original source? But mm. I, want I more than Think it's sort of it sets it up so well that even the stuff we don't necessarily know about the future, you're quite satisfied. With the whole mm. production by the end. I don't think, I don't mean it doesn't leave you wanting more, but you're satisfied and you feel as if you've been told a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end rather than, you Just know, like some silly, you know, mm. <laughs> uh, put together.
1: No, for sure. because mm. I think it's always your imagination will fill in gaps with uh, probably more aplomb than another production would. Uh, I mean, so. <laughs>
2: It certainly stays, you know, with you. Um, well, I mean, as I say, I watched that originally. It stayed with me. It wasn't, again, like you said, Gareth, it wasn't till about the 90s that I managed to get hold of it. And that was a magical time, getting hold of all these things that you had remembered.
1: or you know. and- Here's a question. So we, we grew up... In the era before home video and so on, so you would watch something mm-hmm. like that with no expectation. It wasn't even a concept that you might ever see it again, unless they repeated mm. it maybe once. And so I think there's this kind of ten-year period since our kind of childhoods in '70s, '80s, where you know stuff was just ephemeral and that was that. And and then mm. home video suddenly awakens all of this possibility, yep. and network comes to <laughs> comes to fill in all the gaps. But
2: you've seen my shelves. Well, yeah,
1: <laughs> groaning at the seams. But I, I, I'm really interested in that because it does fundamentally change your attitude towards something. You know, this passed me by the first time, and I would have never have mm. expected to see it again until I... suddenly you could.
2: Yeah, mm. I'm just fascinated by you know tv you've watched and you suddenly get to see it. it's like that documentary on um, revenge of the cybermen checks lies and videotape yeah and that i think is the best you know uh, documentary that's been done for any of the doctor who dvds because it captures that period where you were getting those pirate copies of the 10th planet or the keys of Marinus, or something and it was you know mm-hmm. some ways you know i mean i remember my first copy was really rocky but That's it so didn't are because it was like this is fascinating getting to see this again
1: yeah you're talking yeah, about yeah. the power of nostalgia at the start yeah. you know Maybe. because
2: mm. for one i never thought i would see that but even things like say robot or carnival of monsters apart from what they all repeat, you know, this Brilliant. is fascinating, you know, to have mm. this. And there is oh, a yeah. sort of um a sort of rose tintedness of that era where you were maybe getting a little drip fed stuff and now <laughs> shelves are growing <laughs> with DVDs, blah 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 and I often find myself thinking, oh, I think I'll watch the Champions tonight. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, no, I'll leave it. And then end up going on YouTube. Because <laughs> you just can't think, of, you know, you just can't decide what to watch. But some models on your bookshelf as well, so. Mm. Mm. You know, are yeah, so over sometimes with it, you know?
0: Mm-hmm, I think that's a very good point. I think, yeah, we are we, uh, in that. Generation who, for a while, the past—it was just these tantalising photographs in books of magazines. i have To say we are, we were, I think, quite nicely and naturally running into a kind of wrapping up. Final thoughts there.
1: Yeah, thank you. I I just loved them, and I'm grateful uh, to you and Chaz for you know coaxing me into watching them after all this time. <laughs> there are other people in the past who've mentioned them. Uh, I've always talked of them very fondly, and yeah, they're just great. You know, well made, well performed, really thought provoking, enjoyable, funny. Uh, you know, just really, really lovely bit of television history there.
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, basically, I agree. I, um, I'm really sort of enjoying dipping into some random sort of oh god plugging thing again <laughs> <But> <laughs> i'm really enjoying you know plugging into these sort of things like dominic Hyde or like we do box of delights you know and yeah, stuff you wouldn't necessarily you know say right we're going to do a podcast about this which is why i like your format where you take something you know something quite obscure sometimes and talk about it for about an hour or so and it is it's a fascinating thing even if it's something we don't necessarily enjoy that much Still You're fasc- talking about
1: Kittig now, aren't you? <laughs> like
2: but, you know, there's still a fascination to it, a fascination of how it came about, how it was received. Why nobody
1: stopped it before it was too late. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, you know, it's like when you did your Star cops one, because I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of Star cops and stuff. But I do I do like this sort of, you know, dipping into something where you go, oh, yeah, I watched that, I remember that, you know? Mm. It's the like, uh, our friend John texts me when he when he heard that we were doing for our podcast mm-hmm. our next one uh is going to be king of the castle you know mm-hmm. like, oh yeah that like, like myself so that you know it's it stirs up these memories so no thank you thank you so much for inviting us on for this one because this is a particular um particularly of this one but uh it was nice you know it was really nice to sort of watch it again and sort of assess it and you know appreciate it a little more
0: yeah well thank you very much for taking the time to watch them and coming on to talk about dominic and I, I, I can't really add anything to what you said because i kind of agree with it i think they're just beautifully written and made uh examples of mainstream science fiction and uh they're like a fine like a fine meal. It's just all everything's in the right proportions. In well a fine shopper wine that's
1: been <laughs> <Brought> <laughs> into- <laughs> oh, I meant to tell you, Chess, when you lent me the DVD I opened the box and it crumbled yeah, to dust. Yeah. Sorry, mate. <laughs> what can you do? Well, I am in a different time zone to you both. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you are. Actually, you're in yeah. the future. I'm in the past. Yeah, this is Um, <laughs>
2: technically this is an international podcast. actually. Oh, mm.
0: The two plays were released in a VHS double pack in 1991 and then on DVD in 2005, accompanied by a booklet written by Andrew Pixley, which has been invaluable in the preparation of this podcast. The script for The Flip Side of Dominic Hyde was published in a collection Intensive Care and Other TV Plays, edited by Michael Church. So, before we wrap up, I would be remiss if I didn't give another plug for the Randomizer podcast, which is funny and erudite and great to listen to. Uh, is there anything you'd like to particularly plug? You've uh, mentioned the Box of Delights.
1: Uh well that's basically that's a random dip into old TV shows um that we've been doing uh for a few episodes now. We also randomly select an episode of Doctor Who each time using the wonderful randomizer.net website and then go away and rewatch that. Um and yeah, we just sort of chat about whatever we've been up to in any Doctor Who news that's broken, um, which obviously was particularly fertile territory in recent weeks, but yeah. the, uh when there's a new Doctor Who, we try to follow along episode by episode with that. Uh, it's anchor.fm forward slash randomizer with an S, jazz. Not a Z. There we go. Um, Absolute <laughs> Yeah, and, and uh... that's that's our our kind of. I, I I also that's our podcast. I also run a Twitter account called Doctor Who AI Art, which is at Doctor Who AI Art, and um, basically this posts um, Doctor Who AI Art. Who'd have thought it? Um, and that's that's always good fun. I noticed there's been a, an account using the, the uh, I think it's called Wally 2, uh, which is another AI art generator, um, and they've been doing some top two stories, which look amazing. It's one of those ones that you just type in natural language, you know, like penguin on a bonfire, and it goes and searches that out. Apologies to any penguins out there.
2: And if anyone <laughs> wants to follow me on Twitter, that's uh, at Genius with uh, about five or six S's. You'll work so there's
1: a guy out. with more or less S's than you. They're going to be getting an awful lot on <laughs>
2: Yeah, you can just imagine this
0: guy
1: going, what? <laughs> <laughs> What's the <book>?
0: <laughs> well, there will be links in the details accompanying this podcast. So it only remains to me to say thank you very much for listening, and it's goodbye from me, Charles of and goodbye from...
1: I must be Tim Reid then.
2: You must.
0: Thank you, and speak to you again soon. Very British Futures is hosted and produced by Gareth Preston. Music by Chattery Art. If you'd like to find out more or get in touch, please visit our Facebook page. Use the link in the podcast description to our website. Follow us on Twitter, at Futures Very, or email us at this address, Very British Futures Podcast, one word at gmail.com